Welcome to Pod Bless Robert Moeller, a translation for Texans. Brought to you by the makers of Pod Bless Texas, Kendall Scudder and Lillian Salerno. Part 1. Prologue. Hey, Kendall. Hey there, Lillian Salerno. How's it going? I can't believe we've talked ourselves into doing this. <laughs> Give the people what they want. That's what I always say. You called me yesterday and said, what do you think? said, all right, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Mueller report came out last week, and so we are currently doing what we believe to be one of the very first audiobooks, reading the Mueller report. All 500 pages. But I think what's really important about it is that we're translating it in a way that Texans understand. <laughs> Let's hope that works. So... Um, Bear with us. Yeah, bear with us. We're doing this literally in one weekend, and so we're trying to get it out as quickly as we can. So we're trying to minimize the editing that we'd have to do, and so this will not be heavily edited. We will stumble from time to time. We may add commentary. You may hear cats in the background, but we are, are just going to push through this sucker and try to get you an audio book translated for Texans of the Mueller Report. Because it's hard to understand. And who's going to get around to reading 500 pages over the weekend? So now you can listen to us. It. <laughs> we are. Yeah. So for individuals that aren't familiar with us and that may be tuning into this for the first time, my name's Kendall Scudder, and I'm here with my very good friend, Lillian Salerno. Hello. Lillian Salerno was an Obama administration official, and I am a current party official for the Texas Democratic Party. Uh, we're both lovable losers, former candidates who didn't make it across the finish line, and we host Pod Bless Texas that comes out every week. Which people just love it. People people are saying <laughs> people it's are the saying. best podcast. I mean, I don't want to get out too, too early on this, but rumors have started that we may be getting a Webby this year. <laughs> You just made that People up. are saying. People are not saying. So, um, without any further ado, we are going to start um, Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texans, and we appreciate you paying, giving us our much-needed attention for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. Oh, it should probably be also be warned to people that Lillian Salerno has such a foul mouth. I really don't. You do. <laughs> it's me. But um, it is possible that we may use profane language, and if your child is in the room, you should make sure that they or just uh, aren't sensitive. let them know. Let they, them. they shouldn't be sensitive. They really should know these words too to not no, say do. them. <laughs> they do, and it's a translation for Texans and little Texans cuss. Yeah, sometimes really. Texans say foul words, bless their hearts, <laughs> and so. <laughs> so, anyways, now without any further ado, Pod bless Robert Mueller. A translation for Texans. A report on the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Volume one of two. Oh my God, there's two of these. We're doing one now. <gasps> one later. By special counsel Robert S. Mueller third. What do you think the S stands for? I'm not really sure. I don't either. So. Table of Contents, volume one. I'm kidding, guys. I'm not reading the Table of Contents. It's so long. Introduction to Volume 1. This report is submitted to the Attorney General pursuant to CFR 28, Section 608C, which states that, A, the conclusion of the Special Counsel's work, he shall provide the Attorney General a confidential report 
explaining the prosecution or declination decisions the special counsel reached. The Russian government interfered in the 2016 presidential election in sweeping and systemic fashion. Evidence of Russian government operations began to surface in mid-2016. In June, the Democratic National Committee and its cyber response team publicly announced that Russian hackers had compromised its computer network. Releases of hacked materials, hacks that public reporting soon attributed to the Russian government, began that same month. Additional releases followed in July through the organization WikiLeaks, with further releases in October and November. In late July 2016, soon after WikiLeaks's first release of stolen documents, a foreign government contacted the FBI about a May 2016 encounter with the Trump campaign foreign policy advisor George Papadopoulos. Ain't that guy in jail? I'm pretty sure. All right, this is a witch hunt, I forgot. Papadopoulos had suggested to a representative of that foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information damaging to Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. That information prompted the FBI on July 31, 2016 to open an investigation into whether individuals associated with the Trump campaign were coordinating with the Russian government in its interference activities. That fall, two federal agencies jointly announced that the Russian government quote, directed recent compromises of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including U.S. political organizations, end quote. And, quote, these thefts and disclosures are intended to interfere with the U.S. election process, close quote. <laughs> After the election in late December 2016, the United States imposed sanctions on Russia for having interfered in the election. By early 2017, several congressional committees were examining Russia's interference in the election. It's a witch hunt, Lillian, mm, right? Yeah, nothing there. Jesus Christ. Within the executive branch, these investigatory efforts ultimately led to the May 2017 appointment of Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller. The order appointing the Special Counsel authorized him to investigate the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, including any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. As set forth in detail in this report, the special counsel's investigation established that Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election principally through two operations. First, a Russian entity carried out a social media campaign that favored presidential candidate Donald J. Trump and disparaged presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Second, a Russian intelligence service conducted computer intrusion operations against entities, employees, and volunteers working on the Clinton campaign and then release stolen documents. The investigation also identified numerous leaks between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. Although the investigation established that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency and work to secure that outcome, and that the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information stolen and released through Russian efforts the investigation did not establish the, that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government 
and its election interference activities. Below, we describe the evidentiary considerations underpinning statements about the result of our investigation and the special counsel's charging decisions, and we then provide an overview of the two volumes of our report. The report describes actions and events that the special counsel's office found to be supported by the evidence collected in our investigation. In some instances, the report points out the absence of evidence or conflicts in the evidence about a particular fact or event. In other instances, when substantial, credible evidence enabled the office to reach a conclusion with confidence, the report states that the investigation established that certain actions or events occurred. A statement that the investigation did not establish particular facts does not mean that there was no evidence of those facts. In evaluating whether evidence about collective action of multiple individuals constituted a crime, we applied the framework of conspiracy law not the concept of collusion. In so doing, the office recognized that the word collude was used in communications with the acting attorney general, confirming certain aspects of the investigation scope, and that the term has frequently been involved in public reporting about the investigation. But collusion is not a specific offense or theory of liability found in the US, United States Code, nor is it a term of art in federal criminal law. For those reasons, the office's focus in analyzing questions of joint criminal liability was on conspiracy as defined in federal law. In connection with that analysis, we addressed the factual question whether members of the Trump campaign coordinated a term that appears in the appointment order with Russian election interference activities. Like collusion, coordination does not have a settled definition in federal criminal law. We understood coordination to require an agreement, tactic or express, between the Trump campaign and the Russian government on election interference. That requires more than the two parties taking actions that were informed by or responsive to the other's actions or interests. We applied the term coordination in that sense when stating in the report that the investigation did not establish that the Trump campaign coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. The report on our investigation consists of two volumes. Volume one describes the factual results of the special counsel's investigation of Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election and its interactions with the Trump campaign. Section one describes the scope of the investigation. Sections two and three describe the principal ways Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election. Section four describes links between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Section five sets forth the special counsel's charging decisions. Volume two addresses the president's actions towards the FBI's investigation into Russia's interferences in the 2016 presidential election and related matters and his actions towards the special counsel's investigation. Volume two is going to be great. Volume two separately states its framework and the considerations that guided the investigation. Executive summary to volume one, Russian social media campaigns. The Internet Research Agency, IRA, carried out the earliest Russian interference operations identified by the investigation, a social media campaign designed to provoke and amplify political and social discord in the United States. The IRS was based, I'm sorry, the IRA, come on, let me just do it. Is it the IRA? No. Or the IRS? It's the IRA. I can't believe the IRS, like, 
They didn't what? get involved. It's the IRA. Stop it. Oh, okay. The IRA <laughs> was based in St. Petersburg, Russia, and received funding from Russian oligarch. <laughs> His name I can't pronounce, but let me go try it. Yevgeny Prigozian and his companies. Prigozian, I know that I'm not pronouncing that right, but I feel it bad. It works. That's what we're going to okay. go with. Okay. Prigozian is widely reported to have ties in Russian President Vladimir Putin. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. <laughs> In mid-2014, the IRA sent employees to the United States on an intelligence-gathering mission with instructions. Harm to our ongoing matter redacted. The IRA later used social media accounts and interest groups to sow discords in the, discord in the U.S. through what it termed information warfare. The campaign evolved from a generalized program designed in 2014 and 2015 to undermine the U.S. electoral system to a targeted operation that by early 2016 favored candidate Trump and disparaged candidate Clinton. The IRA's operation also included the purchase of political advertisements on social media in the name of U.S. persons and entities, as well as the staging of political rallies inside the United States. To organize those rallies, IRA employees posed as U.S. grassroots entities and persons and made contact with Trump supporters and Trump campaign officials in the U.S. The investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. persons conspired or coordinated with the IRA. Section 2 of this report details the office's investigation of the Russian social media campaign. Russian Hacking Operations at the time that the IRA operation began to focus on supporting candidate Trump in early 2016, the Russian government employed a second form of interference, cyber intrusions, hacking, and releases of hacked materials damaging to the Clinton campaign. The Russian intelligence service, known as the main intelligence directorate of the general staff of the Russian army, GRU, carried out these operations. In March 2016, the GRU began hacking the email accounts of Clinton campaign volunteers and employees, including campaign chairman John Podesta. In April 2016, the GRU hacked into the computer networks of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, DCCC, and the Democratic National Committee, DNC. The GRU stole hundreds of thousands of documents from the compromised email accounts and networks. Around the time that the DNC announced in mid-June 2016 the Russian government's role in hacking its network, the GRU began disseminating stolen materials through the fictitious online personas DC Leaks and Goosefer 2.0. What a douchey name. Goosefer. The GRU later released additional materials through the organization WikiLeaks. The presidential campaign of Donald J. Trump, Trump Campaign or Campaign, showed interest in WikiLeaks' releases of documents and welcomed their potential to damage candidate Clinton. Look at that. Page five. Wow. We're already there. Beginning in June 2016, Harm to Ongoing Matter, Redacted. Forecast to senior campaign officials that WikiLeaks would release information damaging to candidate Clinton. WikiLeaks' first release came in July 2016. 
Around the same time, candidate Trump announced that he hoped Russia would recover emails described as missing from a private server used by Clinton when she was Secretary of State. He later said that he was speaking sarcastically. Redacted harm to an ongoing matter. Sounds like this isn't over. WikiLeaks began releasing Podesta's stolen emails on October 7, 2016, less than one hour after the U.S. media outlet released video considered damaging to candidate Trump. Section 3 of this report details the office's investigation into the Russia hacking operations, as well as other efforts by Trump campaign supporters to obtain Clinton-released emails. Russian Contacts with the Campaign the social media campaign and the GRU hacking operations coincided with a series of contacts between Trump campaign officials and individuals with ties to the Russian government. The office investigated whether those contacts reflected or resulted in the campaign conspiring or coordinating with Russia in its election interference activities. Although the investigation established that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency and, would, and work to secure the outcome, and that the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information stolen and released through Russian efforts, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. The Russian contacts consisted of business connections, offers of assistance to the campaign, invitations for candidate Trump and Putin to meet in person, invitations for campaign officials and representatives of the Russian government to meet, and policy positions seeking improve U.S.-Russian relations. Section 4 of the report details the contacts between Russia and the Trump campaign during the campaign and transition periods, the most salient of which are summarized below in chronological order. 2015. Some of the earliest contacts were made in connection with the Trump Organization real estate project in Russia known as Trump Tower Moscow. Candidate Trump signed a letter of intent for Trump Tower Moscow by November 2015, and in January 2016, Trump Organization Executive Michael Cohen, I know that guy, yep. emailed and spoke about the project with the Office of Russian Government Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov. The Trump Organization pursued the project through at least June 2016. <laughs> ah! <laughs> including by considering travel to Russia by Cohen and candidate Trump. Spring 2016, campaign foreign policy advisor George Papadopoulos made early contact with Joseph Mifsud. I don't don't have a clue. A London-based professor. I still can't pronounce it. (laughs) British, but you can't pronounce it. A London-based professor who had connections to Russia and traveled to Moscow in April 2016. Immediately upon his return to London from that trip, Miss Mifsud (laughs) told Papadopoulos that the Russian government had quote dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. One week later. In that first week of May 2016, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information damaging to candidate Clinton. Throughout that period of time, and for several months thereafter, Papadopoulos worked with Mifsud 
and two Russian nationals to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Russian government. No meeting took place. Summer 2016. Russian outreach to the Trump campaign continued into the summer of 2016 as candidate Trump was becoming the presumptive Republican nominee for president. On June 9, 2016, for example, a Russian lawyer met with senior Trump campaign officials, Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and campaign chairman Paul Manafort to deliver what the email proposing the meeting had described as official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary. The materials were offered to Trump Jr. as part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. The written communication setting up the meeting showed that the campaign anticipated receiving information from Russia that could assist candidate Trump's electoral prospects, but the Russian lawyer's presentation did not provide such information. Days after the June 9th meeting on June 14, 2016, a cybersecurity firm and the DNC announced that Russian government hackers had infiltrated the Democratic National Committee and obtained access to its opposition research on candidate Trump, among other documents. In July 2016, campaign foreign policy advisor Carter Page traveled in his personal capacity to Moscow and gave the keynote address at the New Economic School. Page had lived and worked in Russia between 2003 and 2007. After returning to the United States, Page became acquainted with at least two Russian intelligence officers, one of whom was later charged in 2015 with conspiracy to act as an unregistered agent of Russia. Page's July 2016 trip to Moscow and his advocacy for pro-Russian foreign policy drew media attention. The campaign then distanced itself from Page and, by late September 2016, removed him from the campaign. July 2016 was also the month WikiLeaks first released emails stolen by the GRU from the DNC. So many, like, acronyms. On July 22, 2016, WikiLeaks posted thousands of internal DNC documents revealing information about the Clinton campaign. Within days, there was public reporting that the U.S. intelligence agency had, quote, high confidence that the Russian government was behind the theft of emails and documents from the DNC. And within a week of the release, a foreign government informed the FBI about its May 2016 interaction with Papadopoulos and his statement that the Russian government could assist the Trump campaign. On July 31, 2016, based on the foreign government reporting, the FBI opened an investigation into potential coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Separately, on August 2, 2016, Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort met in New York City with his longtime business associate, Konstantin Kilomnik, <laughs> who the FBI assesses to have ties to Russian intelligence. Kilomnik, oh, that was it, Kilomnik, I remember that from the news requested the meeting to deliver in person a peace plan for Ukraine that Manafort acknowledged to the special counsel's office was a, quote, backdoor way for Russia to control part of eastern Ukraine. Both men believed the plan would require candidate Trump's assent to succeed were he elected president. They also discussed the status of the Trump campaign and Manafort's strategy for winning Democratic votes in Midwestern states. Months before that meeting, 
Manafort had caused internal polling data to be shared with Kalimnik, and the sharing continued for some period of time after their August meeting. Fall 2016. On October 7, 2016, the media released video of candidate Trump speaking in graphic terms about women years earlier, which was considered damaging to his candidacy. Grabbing them by their pussies. They didn't put that in the report. No, they did not. Less than an hour later, WikiLeaks made its second release, thousands of John Podesta's emails that had been stolen by the GRU in late March 2016. The FBI and other U.S. government institutions were at the time continuing their investigation of suspected Russian government efforts to interfere in the presidential elections. That same day, October 7th, the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence issued a joint public statement that the Russian government directed the recent compromise of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including from U.S. political organizations. Those thefts and the disclosures of the hacked material through online platforms such as WikiLeaks, the statement continued, are intended to interfere with the U.S. election process. Post-2016 election. Immediately after the November 8th election, Russian government officials and prominent Russian businessmen began trying to make inroads into the new administration. The most senior levels of the Russian government encouraged these efforts. The Russian embassy made contact hours after the election to congratulate the president-elect and to arrange a call with President Putin. Several Russian businessmen picked up the effort from there. Kirill Dmitry, the chief executive officer of Russia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, was among the Russians who tried to make contact with the incoming administration. In early December, a business associate, associate steered Dmitry to Eric Prince, a supporter of the Trump campaign and an associate of senior Trump advisor Steve Bannon. Dmitry and Prince later met face-to-face in January 2017 in the Seashells and discussed U.S.-Russia relations. During the same period, another business associate introduced Dmitry to a friend of Jared Kushner, who had not served on the campaign or the transition team. Dmitry and Kushner's friend collaborated on a short written reconciliation plan for the United States and Russia, which Dmitry implied had been been cleared through Putin. The friend gave that proposal to Kushner before the inauguration, and Kushner Later gave copies to Bannon and incoming Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. I like how you say Kushner. Kushner. You know what Kush is. Oh, I know what Kush is. I thought you did. On December 29th, 2016, then-President Obama imposed sanctions on Russia for having interfered in the election. Incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn called Republican Ambassador Sergei Kislyak and asked... Oh, that was nice. And asked Russia not to escalate the situation in response to the sanctions. The following day, Putin announced that Russia would not take retaliatory measures in response to the sanctions at that time. Hours later, President-elect Trump tweeted, Great move on delay by V. Putin. The next day, on December 31st, 2016, Kislyak called Flynn and told him the request had been received at the highest levels and Russia had chosen not to retaliate as a result of Flynn's request. 
On January 6, 2017, members of the intelligence community briefed President-elect Trump on a joint assessment. Drafted and coordinated along the Central Intelligence Agency, FBI, and National Security Agency, that included with high confidence that Russia had intervened in the election through a variety of means and assist Trump's candidacy and harm Clinton's. A declassified version of the assessment was publicly released that same day. Between mid-January 2017 and early February 2017, three congressional committees, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, HPSCI, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, SSCI, and the Senate Judiciary Committee, SJC, announced that they would conduct inquiries or had already been conducting inquiries into Russian interference in the election. Then FBI Director James Comey later confirmed to Congress the existence of the FBI's investigation into the Russian interference that had begun before the election. On March 20th, 2017, in open session testimony before HPSCI, Comey stated, I have been authorized by the Department of Ju How do I do a Comey impression? He's mm, kind of generic. He is generic. I have been authorized by the Department of Justice to confirm that the FBI, as part of our counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government and whether there is any coordination between the campaign and Russian's efforts. As with any counterintelligence investigation, this will also include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. The investigation continued under then-Director Comey for the next seven weeks until May 9, 2017, when President Trump fired Comey as FBI Director, an action which is analyzed in Volume 2 of the report. Oh, TBD. I can't wait. Although I do think he's a big old wussy. Yeah, I can't stand that guy. I can't stand that guy. On May 17, 2017, Acting Attorney General Rod Rosenstein appointed a special counsel and authorized him to conduct the investigation that Comey had confirmed in his congressional testimony, as well as matters arising directly from the investigation and any other matters within the scope of Code of Federal Regulations 28604A, which generally covers efforts to interfere with or obstruct the investigation. President Trump reacted negatively to the special counsel's appointment. He told advisors that it was the end of his presidency, sought to have Attorney General Jeff, Jeff, Jefferson Jeff Sessions unrecuse from the Russian investigation and to have the special counsel removed and engage in efforts to curtail the special counsel's investigation and prevent the disclosure of evidence to it, including through public and private contacts with potential witnesses. <laughs> Those and related actions are described and analyzed in Volume 2. God, I can't wait till Volume 2. I don't know if we're going to make it, but yes. <laughs> the Special Counsel's Charging Decisions In reaching the charging decisions described in Volume 1 of the report, the office determined whether the conduct is found amounted to see a violation of federal criminal law chargeable under the principles of federal prosecution. See Justice Manual, Section 9 through 27, et sec, 2018. Good enough. What does that mean? 
just telling you where it is. Okay, I'm not an attorney. Okay, it's fine. You're close. There's only one attorney here. It's <laughs> not me. And I'm not really this kind of an attorney. The standard set forth in the justice manual is whether the conduct constitutes a crime. If so, whether admissible evidence would probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction. And whether the prosecution would serve a substantial federal interest that could not be adequately served by prosecution elsewhere or through non-criminal activities. See Justice Manual, Section 9 through 27.220. Section 5 of the report provides detailed explanations of the office's charging decisions, which contain three main components. First, the office determined that Russia's two principal interference operations in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, the social media campaign and the hacking and dumping operations, violated U.S. criminal law. Many of the individuals and entities involved in the social media campaign have been charged with participating in a conspiracy to defraud the United States by undermining through deceptive acts the work of federal agencies charged with regulating foreign influence in U.S. elections, as well as related counts of identity theft. See United States versus Internet Research Agency et al. number 18-CR-32DDC. Separately, Russian intelligence officers who carried out the hacking into Democratic primary computers and the personal email accounts of individuals affiliated with the Clinton campaign conspired to violate, among other federal laws, the Federal Computer Intrusion Statute, and they have been so charged. See United States v. Netyoshko et al. number 18-CR-215-DDC. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Personal privacy. Personal privacy. Second, while the investigation identified numerous links between individuals with ties to the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign, the evidence was not sufficient to support criminal charges. Among other things, the evidence was not sufficient to charge any campaign official as an unregistered agent of the Russian government or other Russian principal. And our evidence about the June 9, 2016 meeting and WikiLeaks releases of hacked materials was not sufficient to charge a criminal campaign finance violation. Further, the evidence was not sufficient to charge that any member of the Trump campaign conspired with representatives of the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 election. <laughs> Third, the investigation established that several individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign lied to the office and to Congress about their interactions with Russian-affiliated individuals and related matters. Those lies materially impair the investigation of Russian election interference. The office charged some of those lies as violations of the federal false statement statute. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn pleaded guilty to lying about his interactions with Russian Ambassador Kislaki during the transition period. George Papadopoulos, a foreign policy advisor during the campaign period, pleaded guilty to lying to investigators about the nature and timing of the interactions with Joseph Mifsud, the professor who told Papadopoulos that the Russians had dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. Former Trump Organization's attorney, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to making false statements to Congress about the Trump Moscow Project. Redacted. 
harm to ongoing matter. Kind of funny how after you say the Trump Moscow project, it's redacted for an ongoing matter. Hmm. Keep going. All right. (laughs) And in February 2019, the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia found that Manafort lied to the office and the grand jury concerning his interactions and communications with Konstantin Kilmeniki about Trump campaign (laughs) polling data and a peace plan for Ukraine. The office investigated several other events that have been publicly reported to involve potential Russia-related contacts. For example, the investigation established that interactions between Russian Ambassador Kislyak and Trump campaign officials, both at the candidate's April 2016 foreign policy speech in Washington, D.C., and during the... uh, during the week of the Republican National Convention were brief, public, and non-substantive. And the investigation did not establish that one campaign official's effort to dilute a portion of the Republican Party's platform on providing assistance to Ukraine were undertaken at the behest of candidate Trump or Russia. The investigation also did not establish that a meeting between Kislyak and Sessions in September 2016 at Sessions' Senate office included any more than a passing mention of the presidential campaign. The investigation did not always yield admissible information or testimony or a complete picture of the activities undertaken by subjects of the investigation. Some individuals invoked their Fifth Amendment right against compelled self-incrimination and were not, in the office's judgment, appropriate candidates for grants of immunity. The office limited its pursuit of other witnesses and information, such as information known to attorneys or individuals claiming to be members of the media, in light of internal Department of Justice policies. CEG Justice Manual, Section 9 through 13. and 13.410. Some of the information obtained via court process, moreover, was presumptively covered by legal privilege and was screened from investigators by a filter or taint team. (laughs) They had a taint team? They they had a taint team. (laughs) Even... Even when individuals testified or agreed to be interviewed, they sometimes provided information that was false or incomplete, leading to some of the false statement charges described above. And the office faced practical limits on its ability to access relevant evidence as well. Numerous witnesses and subjects lived abroad, and documents were held outside the United States. Further, the office learned that some of the individuals we interviewed or whose conduct we investigated, including some associated with the Trump campaign, deleted relevant communications or communicated during the relevant period using applications that feature encryption or do not provide for long-term retention of data or communication records. In such cases, the office was not able to corroborate witness statements through comparison to contemporaneous communications or fully question witnesses about statements that appeared inconsistent with other known facts. Accordingly, while this report embodies factual and legal determinations that the office believes to be accurate and complete to the greatest extent possible, Given these identified gaps, the office cannot rule out the possibility that the unavailable information would shed additional light or cast in a new light the events described in the report. Section 1. The Special Counsel's Investigation 
On May 17, 2017, Deputy Attorney General Rod J. Rosenstein, then serving as Acting Attorney General for the Russia investigation following the recusal of former Attorney General Jeff Sessions on March 2, 2016, appointed the special counsel, quote, to investigate Russian interference with the 2016 presidential elections and related matters, close quote. Office of the Deputy Attorney General, Order Number 3915-2017, Appointment of Special Counsel to Investigate Russian Interference with the 2016 Presidential Election Related Matters, May 17, 2017. Appointment Order. Relying on the authority vested in the Acting Attorney General, including 28 U.S.C. Section 509, 510, and 515, the Acting Attorney General ordered the appointment of the Special Counsel, quote, in order to discharge the Acting Attorney General's responsibility to provide supervision and management of the Department of Justice and to ensure a full and thorough investigation of the Russia government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, close quote. Appointment Order Introduction The Special Counsel, the order stated, is authorized to conduct the investigation confirmed by then-FBI Director James B. Comey in testimony before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on March 20, 2017, including 1. Any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of Donald Trump, and 2. Any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation, and three, any or other matters within scope of 28 CFR section 600.4A. Appointment Order B. Section 604 affords the special counsel, quote, the authority to investigate and prosecute federal crimes committed in the course of and with intent to interfere with the special counsel's investigation, such as perjury, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, and intimidation of witnesses. 28 CFR section 604A. The authority to investigate any matters that arose directly from the investigation. Appointment order B2 covers similar crimes that may have occurred during the course of the FBI's confirmed investigation before the special counsel's appointment. If the special counsel believes it is necessary and appropriate, the order further provided, the special counsel is authorized to prosecute federal crimes arising from the investigation of these matters. Finally, the acting attorney general made applicable section 604 through 610, the Title 28 of the Code of Federal Regulations. The Acting Attorney General further clarified the scope of the Special Counsel's investigatory authority in two subsequent memoranda. A memorandum dated August 2, 2017 explained that the appointment order had been worded categorically in order to permit its public release without confirming spe specific investigations involving specific individuals. It then confirmed that the Special Counsel had been authorized since his appointment to investigate allegations that three Trump campaign officials Carter Page, Paul Manafort, and George Papadopoulos committed a crime or crimes by colluding with Rus Russian government officials with respect to the Russian government's efforts to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. The memorandum also confirmed the special counsel's authority to investigate certain other matters, including two additional set of allegations involving Manafort, crimes arising from payments he, need he received from the Ukrainian government, and crimes arising from his receipt of loans from a bank whose CEO was then seeking a position in the Trump administration. 
allegations that Papadopoulos committed a crime or crimes by acting as an unregistered agent of the Israeli government and four sets of allegations involving Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor to President Trump. On October 20th, 2017, the acting attorney general confirmed in a memorandum the special counsel's investigative authority as to several individuals and entities. First, as part of a full and thorough investigation of the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, the special counsel was authorized to investigate the pertinent activities of Michael Cohen, Richard Gates, redacted, Roger Stone, and redacted. Confirmation of the authorization to investigate such individuals, the memorandum stressed, does not suggest that the special counsel has made a determination that any of them has committed a crime. Second, with respect to Michael Cohen, the memorandums recognize the special counsel's authority to investigate leads related to Cohen's establishment and use of Essential Consultants, LLC, to receive funds from the Russian-backed entities. Third, the memorandum memorialized the special counsel's authority to investigate individuals and entities who were possibly engaged in jointly undertaken activity with existing subjects of the investigation, including Paul Manafort. Finally, the memorandum described an FBI investigation opened before the special counsel's appointment into allegations that then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions made false statements to the United States Senate and confirm the special counsel's authority to investigate that matter. The special counsel structured the investigation in view of his power and authority to exercise all investigative and prosecutorial functions of any United States attorney. Like a U.S. attorney's office, the special counsel's office considered a range of classified and unclassified information available to the FBI in the course of the office's Russia investigation, and the office structured that work around evidence for possible use in prosecutions of federal crimes, assuming that one or more crimes were identified that warranted prosecution. There was substantial evidence immediately available to the special counsel at the inception of the investigation in May 2017 because the FBI had, by that time, already investigated Russian election interference for nearly 10 months. The special counsel's office exercised its judgment regarding what to investigate and did not, for instance, investigate every public report of a contact between the Trump campaign and Russian-affiliated individuals and entities. We couldn't investigate all of them. The office... The office has concluded its investigation into links and coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Certain proceedings associated with the office's work remain ongoing. After consultation with the Office of the Deputy Attorney General, the office has transferred responsibility for those remaining issues to other components of the Department of Justice and FBI. Appendix D lists those transfers. Two district courts confirmed the breadth of the special counsel's authority to investigate Russia election interference and links and or coordination with the Trump campaign. In the course of conducting that investigation, the office periodically identified evidence of potential criminal activity that was outside the scope of the special counsel's authority established by the acting attorney general. 
After consultation with the Office of the Deputy Attorney General, the office referred that evidence to appropriate law enforcement authorities, principally other components of the Department of Justice and to the FBI. Appendix D summarizes those referrals. To carry out the investigation and prosecution of the matters assigned to him, the special counsel assembled a team that at its high point included 19 attorneys, five who, who joined the office from private practice, and 14 on detail are assigned from the Department of Justice components. These attorneys were assigned by a filter team of department lawyers and FBI personnel who screened materials obtained via court process for privileged information before turning these materials over to investigators. A support staff of three paralegals on detail from the department's antitrust division and an administrative staff of nine responsible for budget, finance, purchasing, human resources, records, facilities, security, information technology, and administrative support. The special counsel attorneys and support staff were co-located with and worked alongside approximately 40 FBI agents, intelligent analysts, forensic accountants, a paralegal, and professional staff assigned by the FBI to assist the special counsel's investigation. Those assigned FBI employees remained under FBI supervision at all times. The matters on which they assisted were supervised by the special counsel. During its investigation, the office issued more than 2,800 subpoenas under the auspices of a grand jury sitting in the District of Columbia, executed nearly 500 search and seizure warrants, obtained more than 230 orders for communications records under 18 U.S.C., obtained almost 50 orders authorizing, authorizing use of pen registers, made 13 requests to foreign governments pursuant to mutual legal assistance treaties, and interviewed approximately 500 witnesses, including almost 80 before a grand jury. From its inception, the office recognized that its investigation could identify foreign intelligence and counterintelligence information relevant to the FBI's broader national security mission. FBI personnel who assisted the office established procedures to identify and convey such information to the FBI. The FBI's counterintelligence division met with the office regularly for that purpose for most of the office's tenure. For more than the past year, the FBI also embedded personnel at the office who did not work on the special counsel's investigation, but whose purpose was to review the results of the investigation and to send, in writing, summaries of foreign intelligence and counterintelligence information to the FBI HQ and the FBI field offices. Those communications and other correspondence between the office of the FBI contain information derived from the investigation, not all of which is contained in this volume. The volume is a summary. It contains, in the office's judgment, that information necessary to account for the special counsel's prosecution and declination decisions and to describe the investigation's main factual results. Russian Active Measures Social Media Campaigns The first form of Russian election influence came principally from the Internet Research Agency, LLC, IRA a Russian organization funded by Yegvini Vilkturkvichich Prigozhin. Nailed it. <laughs> and companies he controlled, including Concord Management and Consulting LLC and Concord Catering, collectively Concord. 
The IRA conducted social media operations targeted at large U.S. audiences with the goal of uh, making dissent in the U.S. political system. These operations constituted active measures, a term that typically refers to operations conducted by Russian security services aimed at influencing the course of international affairs. The IRA and its employees began operations targeting the United States as early as 2014. Using fictitious U.S. personas, IRA employees operated social media accounts and group pages designed to attract U.S. audiences. These groups and accounts, which addressed divisive U.S. political and social issues, falsely claimed to be controlled by U.S. activists. Over time, these social media accounts became a means to reach larger U.S. audiences. IRA employees traveled to the United States in mid-2014 on an intelligence-gathering mission to obtain information and photographs for use in their social media post. IRA employees posted derogatory information about a number of candidates in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. By early to mid-2016, IRA operations included supporting the Trump campaign and disparaging candidate Hillary Clinton. The IRA made various expenditures to carry out those activities, including buying political advertisements on social media in the names of U.S. persons and entities. Some IRA employees, posing as U.S. persons and without revealing their Russian association, communicated electronically with individuals associated with the Trump campaign and with other political activists to seek to coordinate political activities, including the staging of political rallies. Jesus. The investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. persons knowingly or intentionally coordinated with the IRA's interference operation. By the end of 2016 U.S. election, the IRA had the ability to reach millions of U.S. persons through their social media accounts. Multiple IRA-controlled Facebook groups and Instagram accounts had hundreds of thousands of U.S. participants. IRA-controlled Twitter accounts separately had tens of thousands of followers, including multiple U.S. political figures who, God, who retweeted IRA-created content. In November 2017, a Facebook representative testified that Facebook had identified 470 IRA-controlled Facebook accounts that collectively made 80,000 posts between January 2015 and August 2017. Facebook estimated the IRA reached as many as 126 million persons through the Facebook accounts. In January 2018, Twitter announced that it had identified 3,814 IRA-controlled Twitter accounts and notified approximately 1.4 million people that Twitter believed may have been in contact with IRA-controlled accounts. A. Structure of the Internet Research Agency. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. The organization quickly grew. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. The growth of the organization also led to a more detailed organizational structure. 
Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Two individuals headed the IRA's management. Its general director, Mikhail Bistrov, and its executive director, Mikhail Burchik. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. As early as the spring of 2014, the IRA, the IRA began to hide its funding and activities. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. The IRA's U.S. operations are part of a larger set of interlocking operations known as Project Latka. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. <laughs> B. Funding and oversight from Concord and Prigazine. Until at least February 2018, Yevgeny Viktorjevich <laughs> Good enough. Nailed it. And two Concord companies funded the IRA. Prigazine is a wealthy Russian businessman who served as the head of Concord. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Prigazine was sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department in December of 2016. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Numerous media sources have reported on Prigazine's ties to Putin and the two have appeared together in public photographs. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. <laughs> Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. <laughs> Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. I promise I'm, this is what's listed. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Oh, Jesus Christ. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. 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 IRA employees were aware that Prigazine was involved in the IRA's U.S. operations. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. In May 2016, IRA employees claiming to be U.S. social, social activists and administrators of Facebook groups recruited U.S. persons to hold signs, including one in front of the White House that read, Happy 55th Birthday, Dear Boss, as an homage to Prigazine, whose 55th birthday was on June 1st, 2016. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. 
Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. C. The IRA targets U.S. elections. Number one. The IRA ramps up U.S. operations as early as 2014. The IRA's U.S. operations sought to influence public opinion through online media and forums. By the spring of 2014, the IRA began to consolidate U.S. operations within a single general department known internally as the Translator Department. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. IRA subdivided the Translator Department into different responsibilities, ranging from operations on different social media platforms to analytics to graphics and IT. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. <laughs> Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. IRA employees also traveled to the United States on intelligence gathering missions. In June 2014, four IRA employees applied to the U.S. Department of State to enter the United States while lying about the purposes of their trip and claiming to be four friends who had met at a party. Ultimately, two IRA employees, Anna Bogocheva and Alexandra Kurlova, received visas and entered the United States on June 4, 2014. Prior to traveling, Kurilova and Bogacheva compiled itineraries and instructions for the trip. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to ongoing, harm to an ongoing Lots of ongoing matters, Lillian. I thought this was the end of it all. It makes me really sad, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's depressing. Yep. Number two, U.S. operations through IRA-controlled social media accounts. Dozens of IRA employees were responsible for operating accounts and personas on different U.S. social media platforms. The IRA referred to employees assigned to operate the social media accounts as specialists. Starting as early as 2014, the IRA's U.S. operations included social media specialists focusing on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. The IRA later added specialists who operated on Tumblr and Instagram accounts. Initially, the IRA created social media accounts to, that pretended to be the personal accounts of U.S. persons. By early 2015, the IRA began to create larger social media groups or public social media pages that claimed, falsely, to be affiliated with U.S. political and grassroots organizations. In certain cases, the IRA created accounts that mimicked real U.S. organizations. For example, one IRA-controlled Twitter account, at 10 underscore GOP, purported to be connected to the Tennessee Republican Party. More commonly, the IRA created accounts in the names of fictitious U.S. organizations and grassroots groups and used these accounts to pose as anti-immigration groups, Tea Party activists, Black Lives Matter protesters, and other U.S. social and political activists. The IRA closely monitored the activity on its social media accounts. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. 
Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. By February 2016, internal IRA documents referred to support for the Trump campaign in opposition to candidate Clinton. For example, Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Directions to IRA operators. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Quote, main media use any opportunity to criticize Hillary Clinton and the rest, except Sanders and Trump. We support them. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. The focus on the U.S. presidential campaign continued throughout 2016. In... Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. 2016. Internal. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Reviewing the IRA-controlled Facebook group, Secured Borders. The author criticized the lower number of posts dedicated to criticizing Hillary Clinton and reminded the Facebook specialists that it is imperative to intensify criticizing Hillary Clinton. IRA employees also acknowledged that their work focused on influencing the U.S. presidential election. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. U.S. operations through Facebook. Many IRA operations and Facebook accounts created and operated by its specialists. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. Jesus Christ. IRA Facebook groups active during the 2016 campaign coverage a range of political issues, included purported conservative groups with names such as Being Patriotic, Stop All Immigrants, Ah! Secured Borders, and Tea Party News, purported black social justice group, Black Matters, Blacktivists, and Don't Shoot Us, LGBT groups, LGBT United, and religious groups, United Muslims of America. Throughout 2016, IRA accounts published an increasing number of materials supporting the Trump campaign and opposing the Clinton campaign. For example, on May 31, 2016, the operational account, Matt Shiver, began to privately message dozens of pro-Trump Facebook groups asking them to help plan a pro-Trump rally near Trump Tower. To reach larger U.S. audiences, the IRA purchased advertisements from Facebook that promoted the IRA groups on the news feed of U.S. audience members. According to Facebook, the IRA purchased over 3,500 advertisements and the expenditures totaled approximately $100,000. During the U.S. presidential campaign, many IRA purchased advertisements explicitly supported or opposed a presidential candidate or promoted U.S. rallies organized by the IRA. As early as March 2016, the IRA purchased advertisements that overtly opposed the the Clinton campaign. For example, on March 18, 2016, the IRA purchased an advertisement depicting candidate Clinton and a caption that read in part, "If If one day God lets this liar enter the White House as a president, that day would be a real national tragedy. Similarly, on April 6, 2016, the IRA purchased advertisements for its account, Black Matters, calling for a flash mob 
of U.S. persons to take a photo with Hillary Clinton for prison 2016 or no Hillary 2016. IRA purchase advertisements featuring Clinton were, with very few exceptions, negative. IRA purchased advertisements referencing candidate Trump largely supported his campaign. The first known IRA advertisement explicitly endorsed in the Trump campaign was purchased on April 19, 2016. The IRA bought an advertisement for its Instagram account, Tea Party News, asking U.S. persons to help them make a patriotic team of young Trump supporters by uploading photos with the hashtag, hashtag kids number four Trump. Ugh. In subsequent months, the IRA purchased dozens of advertisements supporting the Trump campaign, predominantly through the Facebook groups Being Patriotic, Stop All Invaders, and Secured Borders. Collectively, the IRA's social media accounts reached tens of millions of U.S. persons. Individual IRA social media accounts attracted hundreds of thousands of followers. For example, at the time they were deactivated by Facebook in the mid-2017, the IRA's United Muslims for, of America Facebook group had over 300,000 followers. And Don't Shoot Us Facebook group had over 250,000 followers. The Being Patriotic Facebook group had over 200,000 followers. And the Secured Borders Facebook group had over 130,000 followers. According to Facebook, in the total, the IRA-controlled accounts made over 80,000 posts before their deactivation in August of 2017. And these posts reached at least 29 million U.S. persons and may have reached an estimated 126 million people. Number four, U.S. operations through Twitter. A number of IRA employees assigned to the translator department served as Twitter specialists. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. The IRA's Twitter operations involved two strategies. First, IRA specialists operated certain Twitter accounts to create individual U.S. personas. Redacted, harm to an ongoing matter. Separately, the IRA operated a network of automated Twitter accounts, commonly referred to as a bot network, that enabled the IRA to amplify existing content on Twitter. A. Individualized accounts. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. Redacted, harm to ongoing matter. The IRA operated individualized Twitter accounts similar to the operation of its Facebook accounts by continuously posting original content to the accounts while also communicating with U.S. Twitter users directly through public tweeting or Twitter's private messaging. The IRA used many of these accounts to attempt to influence U.S. audiences on the election. Individualized accounts used to influence the U.S. presidential election included at 10 underscore GOP, at Jen underscore Abrams, at Pamela Moore 13, claiming to be a Texan Trump supporter with 70,000 followers, and at America underscore first, an anti-immigration persona with 24,000 followers. In May 2016, the IRA created a Twitter account at March underscore four underscore Trump, which promoted IRA organized rallies in support of the Trump campaign described below. No, it's not. <laughs> Redacted harm to ongoing matter. Redacted harm to ongoing matter. 
Using these accounts and others, the IRA provided reactions from users and the media. Multiple IRA-posted tweets gained popularity. U.S. media outlets also quoted tweets from IRA-controlled accounts and attributed them to the reactions of real U.S. persons. Similarly, numerous high-profile U.S. persons, including former Ambassador Michael McFall, Roger Stone, Sean Hannity, and Michael Flynn Jr. retweeted or responded to tweets posted by these IRA-controlled accounts. Multiple individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign also promoted tweets. Discuss below. B. IRA botnet activities. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. In January 2018, Twitter publicly identified 3,814 Twitter accounts associated with the IRA. According to Twitter, in the 10 weeks before the 2016 U.S. presidential election, these accounts posted approximately 175,993 tweets, approximately 8.4% of which were election-related. Twitter also announced that it had notified approximately 1.4 million people who Twitter believed may have been in contact with an IRA-controlled account. Number five, U.S. operations involving political rallies. The IRA controlled and promoted political rallies inside the United States while posting as a U.S. grassroots activist. First, the IRA used one of its pre-existing social media personas, Facebook groups and Twitter accounts, for example, to announce and promote the event. The IRA then sent a large number of direct messages to followers of its social media account asking them to attend the event. From those who responded with interest in attending, the IRA then sought a U.S. person to serve as the event's coordinator. In most cases, the IRA's account operator would tell the U.S. person that they personally could not attend the event due to some pre-existing conflict or because they were somewhere in the United States, assumedly washing their hair. Ah! The IRA then further promoted the event by contacting U.S. media about the event and directing them to speak with the coordinator. After the event, the IRA posted videos and photographs of the event to the IRA's social media accounts. The office identified dozens of U.S. rallies organized by the IRA. The earliest evidence of a rally was a Confederate rally in November 2015. The IRA continued to organize rallies even after the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The attendance at rallies varied. Some rallies appeared to have drawn few, if any, participants, while others drew hundreds. The reach and success of these rallies was closely monitored. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. God, the whole page. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. From June 2016 until the end of the presidential campaign, almost all of the U.S. rallies organized by the IRA focused on the U.S. election, often promoting the Trump campaign and opposing the Clinton campaign. Pro-Trump rallies included three in New York, a series of pro-Trump rallies in Florida in August 2016, and a series of pro-Trump rallies in October 2016 in Pennsylvania. The Florida rallies drew the attention of the Trump campaign, which posted about the Miami rally on candidate Trump's Facebook account. Many of the same IRA employees who oversaw the IRA's social media accounts 
also conducted the day-to-day recruiting for political rallies inside the U.S. Redacted harm to ongoing matter. Six, targeting and recruitment of U.S. persons. As early as 2014, the IRA instructed its employees to target U.S. persons who could be used to advance its operational goals. Initially, recruitment focused on U.S. persons who could amplify the content posted by the IRA. Redacted harm to ongoing matter. Redacted harm to ongoing matter. IRA employees frequently used Redacted investigative technique. Frequently used Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to contact and recruit U.S. persons who followed the group. The IRA recruited U.S. persons from across the political spectrum. For example, the IRA targeted the family of Redacted and a number of black social justice activists while passing on as a grassroots group called Black Matters USA. In February 2017, the persons, Black First, purporting to want to teach African Americans to protect themselves when contacted by law enforcement, hired a self-defense instructor in New York to offer classes sponsored by Black First. The IRA also recruited moderators of conservative social media groups to promote IRA-generated content, as well as recruited individuals to perform political acts, such as walking around New York City dressed up as Santa Claus with a Trump mask. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. (laughs) You guessed it. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. As the IRA's online audience became larger, the IRA tracked the U.S. persons with whom they communicated and had successfully tasked, with tasks ranging from organizing rallies to taking pictures with certain political messages. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. Number seven. Interactions and contacts with the Trump campaign. The investigation identified two different forms of connections between the IRA and members of the Trump campaign. The investigation identified no similar connections between the IRA and the Clinton campaign. <laughs> you don't say. First, on multiple occasions, members and surrogates of the Trump campaign promoted, typically by linking, retweeting, or similar methods of reposting, pro-Trump or anti-Clinton content published by the IRA through IRA-controlled special social media accounts. Additionally, in a few instances, IRA employees represented themselves as U.S. persons to communicate with members of the Trump campaign in an effort to seek assistance and coordination with the IRA organization, political rallies inside the United States. A. Trump campaign promotion of IRA political materials. Among the U.S. leaders of public opinion, Targeted by the IRA were various members and surrogates of the Trump campaign. In total, Trump campaign affiliates promoted dozens of tweets, posts, and other political content created by the IRA. 
Posts from the IRA-controlled Twitter account, at 10 underscore GOP, were cited or retweeted by multiple Trump campaign officials and surrogates, including Donald J. Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Kellyanne Conway, Brad Parscale, and Michael Flynn. These posts included allegations of voter fraud, as well as allegations that Secretary Clinton had mishandled classified information. A November 7, 2016 post from the IRA-controlled Twitter account at Pamela Moore 13 was retweeted by Donald Trump Jr. On September 19, 2017, President Trump's personal account at Real Donald Trump responded to a tweet from an IRA-controlled account at 10 underscore GOP, the backup account of at 10 underscore GOP. They're spelt and one's written, which had already been deactivated by Twitter. The tweet read, We love you, Mr. President. IRA employees monitored the reaction of the Trump campaign and later Trump administration officials to their tweets. For example, on August 23, 2016, the IRA-controlled persona Matt Skyber Facebook account sent a message to a U.S. Tea Party activist writing that Mr. Trump posted about our event in Miami. This is great. The IRA employee included a screenshot of candidate Trump's Facebook account, Facebook account, which included a post about the August 20, 20th, 2016 political rally organized by the IRA. Redacted. Harm to ongoing matter. B. Contact with Trump campaign officials in connection to rallies. Starting in June 2016, the IRA contacted different U.S. persons affiliated with the Trump campaign in an effort to coordinate pro-Trump IRA-organized rallies into the United States. In all cases, the IRA contacted the campaign while claiming to be U.S. political activists working on behalf of a conservative grassroots organization. The IRA's contacts included requests for signs and other materials to use at rallies, as well as requests to promote the rallies and help coordinate logistics. While certain campaign volunteers agreed to provide the requested support, for example, agreeing to set up a number of signs, the investigation has not identified evidence that any Trump campaign official understood the requests were coming from foreign nationals. Did you just call him a tramp? No, I said Trump. <laughs> in sum, the investigation established that Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election through the active measures social media campaign carried out by the IRA, an organization funded by Pergazine and companies that he controlled. As explained further in Volume 1, Section VA, the office has concluded, and a grand jury has alleged, that Pergazine, his companies, and IRA employees violated U.S. law through operations, principally by undermining through deceptive acts the work of federal agencies charged with regulating foreign influence in U.S. elections. I'm literally sick. And they're like not even being penalized for this. Nope. No, I mean this is worth. This, this is, is worth going horrible. This is worth going to war against the Russians. Absolutely, they have they, attacked us. They have attacked us, and they're ways. sitting here calling this a farce. It's crazy. Mm. I'm so sick about this. This concludes episode one of Pod Bless Robert Mueller: A Translation for Texans. Um, this is the first two sections of the Mueller Report. We'll be picking up on Section 3 in Episode 2 of Pod Bless Robert Mueller, A Translation for Texas. Um, brought to you by the makers of Pod Bless Texas. Um, 
Thank you, Lillian Salerno. You did a good job reading today. Thank you, Kendall. I'm sad. Don't be sad. I am sad. The story's not over yet. We've got a lot to go. We don't we know do. what's going to happen. We do know that. And no one was indicted. So many redactions. <laughs> well, I mean, there were people indicted, but I mean, this makes it so the but, Russians stole our election. But we don't know what happened in these redactions. Anything can still happen, Lillian. The case Half the goddamn thing's redacted. I don't know. I just wish we had statesmen or women. More women. More women. Oh, I accidentally hit your printer. Printer. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for listening to episode one of our special series, God Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texans. We'll see you in episode two.